How many believe in prayer? How many think people ought to pray? How many people pray? That last one was a different question. You know, that was personal. We want to talk about prayer today, uh, but I'm using the term negotiating because talking to God is a negotiation. It should be a two-way street. It should be a dialogue, not a monologue. It's not just you talking to God, telling God what you want Him to do for you. That kind of makes you God, doesn't it? Him your servant. It's about us connecting to God so that He can talk to us and tell us what's on His mind. If I know what's on His mind, now I know how to pray. And prayer is the key to getting God to do what I want Him to do. Because when I pray and I tell God what I want Him to do, He corrects me. He shows me how I ought to pray, not how I am praying. We're going to see this portrayed in one of these divine encounters that Abraham had. Um, So if you brought your Bible, I'm in Genesis chapter 18 today. We're going to do some considerable reading because the story, if we're going to get the whole truth out of it, is is rather long. We really need to unpack that. Uh, It starts out in chapter 18. It says, the Lord appeared to Abraham. That's called a divine encounter when the Lord appears. Every now and then, I'll have the Lord appear to me. Not with my physical eyes. I don't don't see him with my physical eyes, but I know I've had an encounter. I know God's just spoken to me. I know it. And usually it's kind of a a rebuke kind of thing because God kind of lets me. He, He assumes that I have matured in my faith enough that I can do this Christian thing pretty well by myself. But every now and then, he shows up usually to correct me, to realign me, to, to make a mid-course correction in my life. It says, the Lord appeared to Abraham. Very cool. The next verse says, Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. Sounds like two entirely different things, doesn't it? The Lord appeared to him in verse 1, And then in verse 2, he begins to unpack that, how that happened. And he saw three men come to him, and he begins to tell this story about the three men. Well, the three men are the divine encounter. The three men are representative of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, present in the Old Testament. This is when God came. And when we see these three men interacting we actually get to see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit interacting. That's the way the Father works. We don't have three different gods that we worship. It's one God, but he's got three distinct, I don't want to say personalities because it's all the same personality, but there are three distinct beings. Each of them have different responsibilities, and they work together, and they never have quarrels. They never have disagreements because they're all on the same page. Wouldn't it be great if we could all get on the same page? So, the three, I'm going to kind of abbreviate this because we're talking about the whole chapter and we don't have the time to do that. So I, I need to kind of cut some corners. So God, God, in the form of these three people, comes down on a mission. He sees there is wickedness has arisen in this city and the wickedness cries out to him. Ah, think about that for a minute. Wickedness on the earth cries out to God. God sees that. He created us to be good. He created us to be righteous, to be representatives of Him on this earth. 
And oh, what a mess we made of it. But God wants to come and visit and coach us and guide us and show us how to do it his way instead of our way. And that's always dramatically different. So he comes to destroy a city whose wickedness cries out. It's the city of Sodom. The city of Sodom is about to be destroyed because it had been given over, and that's important we understand. I'm using that, that phrase. It had been totally committed to homosexuality. I am not going to talk today about homosexuality for or against. I'm not going to defend or attack. I just want us to see God's per- perception. God makes the rules. He created us. Yes. He sets the rules. Yes. He expects us to live by the rules. Yes. He basically, he says, if you follow my guidance, you're going to be blessed. Yep. Right. If you follow your natural inclinations, you're going to be cursed. Amen. So you got a choice. And we're seeing here what happens dilly-dallied too long and it went black. Come on. Okay. So we're going to see what happens here when God comes to destroy the city. But on the way to destroy the city, he stops by to see Abraham. Well, that's interesting. I said just, just last week that, I think it was last week, that God, does, as two weeks ago, I guess, last time I preached, that God doesn't have uh, an attention deficit disorder problem. He's on a mission. He knows what he's doing. So he's going for the purpose of destroying the city, but he stops off to see Abraham first because he's a good God, and he's got good news for Abraham and Sarah. They're going to have a child. He's 99 years old. Anybody in here 99? Just looking for a role model. She's 89. 99, 89, and they get the good news. They're going to have a baby. Is that good news when you're 99, 89? <laughs> and then after they have, after the three men give this good news announcement to Abraham and Sarah, they have, and they eat and they have a feast. Then Abraham begins negotiations. You know what negotiations are? That's when two sides sit down at a table and they go back and forth. Okay, this is what I want. Well, this is what I want. Well, I want to make you happy, but I also want to make me happy. So how do we make each other happy? How do we negotiate? How do we come up with an agreement so we're both on the same page here? That's the question. And in those negotiations, which we're going to read here in just a minute, I want us to see that there are nine lessons we can learn about prayer. Things that jumped off the page to me, I'm going to share with you in just a minute. So let's, let's read the story. Uh, here in Genesis 18, we're going to have to start, jump down to verse 16, and we'll start here. When the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham? What I am about to do, Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all the nations on earth will be blessed through them, for I have chosen him. 
so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see if they have done what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I'll know. Let me just interject right here. I want us to note that God comes down to check on us before he sends the judgment. Isn't that good news? God comes down to check to see if it's as bad as he thinks it is. And, once it, and then he makes the decision. So we have a chance to repent here. Going on. Verse 22. The men turned away and went toward Sodom. But Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will you not judge? Excuse me. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? Notice, this is a prayer. Have you ever thought about talking to God like this in your prayer? This is, he's negotiating with him. He's, he's saying, if you're going to negotiate with somebody, the first thing you do is start with putting a little butter on the bread. You know, you start making some compliments. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's how Jesus started his prayer. Verse 26, the Lord said, Okay, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Then Abraham spoke up again. Now that I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of the righteous is less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five people? If I find 45 there, he said, I'll not destroy it. Once again, he spoke to him. What if only 40 are found there? He said, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. What if only 30 can be found there? He said, I will not do it if I find 30 there. Abraham said, now that I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, what if only 20 can be found there? He said, for the sake of 20, I'll not destroy it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if only 10 can be found there? He answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left and Abraham returned home. Didn't I just have the feel of going to an auction? <laughs> you know where the ante keeps changing along the way? And it's Abraham who keeps changing it. He takes it one step further, one step further, one step further. 
So I want to share nine principles about prayer. If you believe in prayer, if you do pray, let's learn some lessons about prayer for ourselves. Here's, here's lesson number one. Make God feel welcome. Notice that's the first thing that, that uh, Abraham did. He hurried. He went out. He got one of, the, one of the lambs from the flock. He brought it in. They're going to have fresh meat. And they gather around. They're going to have a big Thanksgiving dinner. They're going to have a feast. And Abraham wants to do everything he can to be a blessing to God who has come to visit him. If you want to have a, have a, a conversation with God, don't start out by telling him what you want him to do for you. Start out by doing what you know he wants you to do for him. Here in our sphere of influence, if people have a big ego, we think that's a bad thing. But let me tell you something. Nobody's got a bigger ego than God does. And he wants to be praised. He wants us to recognize that he wants to use all his greatness to bring blessing into our lives. He wants to surprise us. He wants to amaze us with his way of doing things, which is never our way. He always does it in a strange way. Make God feel welcome. If you could fix him a meal, would you do it? Of course you would. But, that's, but he's not looking for food. He's looking for our praise, our recognition, our partnership. He wants us to recognize that he's our father and we're his children. He wants us to recognize that and come from that perspective. So make God feel welcome. Here's lesson number two. Pray with urgency. Could you just feel as we were reading through that, that Abraham was, was urgent. There's a, there's a city that's going to be destroyed. And I got some family that I know are righteous living in that city. Would you destroy the whole city if there were just a, a few righteous there? See, he's interceding not just for Lot. He's praying for the city. You wouldn't destroy the whole city if there were a few righteous there, would you? He's praying with urgency. God is on a mission. We need to recognize this mission, and we need to get aboard that mission. Jesus prayed for a city. So it wasn't something that just Abraham did. Jesus prayed for the city of Jerusalem. Luke chapter 19, verses 41 through 44. See if you can feel the urgency, the passion here. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known of this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. With tears, he's praying. Have you ever looked over your city? I mean, don't go to the rich area. Go to the poor side of town. Go to, the, go, go to the, where the people live that, whose lives are a mess. That's your city. 
Sometimes I think we Christians, we, we only want to go to the winning side. And we forget that Jesus Christ came to die on the cross for the losing side. He's a redeemer. And the spirit of the redeemer lives inside of us. What are we going to do with the spirit of redemption that's inside of us? What's that going to move us to do? Do we just want to focus on the winners? Or shall we be a part of God's mission and focus on the losers so that they can be winners? We who have the Spirit of God don't need to be afraid of lost people pulling us down. They should be afraid of us pulling them up. Here's the third. I got nine of these, so I got to keep moving. Here's number three, the third lesson. Pray for God's reputation. That's really what he's interceding for. What are the people going to say, God, if you just come down because you see sin in the city and you come down and you wipe out the whole city and you take the righteous along with the sinners? What are people going to say about you? What kind of reputation will you have then? That, don't, don't ever let that be said of you, God. You would never do such a thing. He's not informing God. He's letting God know he understands how God thinks. And God doesn't think like that. God doesn't want to destroy. He wants to redeem. He wants, he wants that city to flourish. Yes. You think that sin just started last week? It's been going on for generations. And God has finally seen it is so entrenched in the culture. It's going from generation to generation. There's no turning it around. When those three men, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, in the next chapter, when they finally get to the city of Sodom, guess what happens? They try to pull God into their lifestyle. Same thing happens today. Try to pull God into it. You know, Jesus said we should love one another. Twist, twist, twist. What's God's reputation? He stands for righteousness, he's holy, and he wants to put his Holy Spirit inside of every one of us. Amen. This is his mission, this is what he comes to do. So what's the world, world going to say? What's the world going to say when Sodom gets wiped out? What's the world going to say? Are they going to think good things about God or are they going to think bad things about God? Abraham's interested in God's reputation. And if you read the Bible, Bible very much, you know that mercy is always at the heart of God. Yes. He is just. And this is why Jesus had to come. How does God uh, maintain justice, the wages of sin is death, and be merciful at the same time? How can he, how can he be both? By sending his own son to pay the price for the sin. For he paid the price in our stead. Isn't this good news? This is the gospel. This is, how it, this is what it's all about. So here's the, the fourth principle about prayer. You've got to draw close to God. Did, did you hear that Abraham did that? The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit started walking off towards Sodom. And Abraham drew close, got right up close. If you 
you want to have a conversation with God, you got to get up close. You can't do it from, from, with your remote. You got to be up close. The closer you get, the more you're going to get from God. When you draw close, God begins speaking back to you. God help us to draw close to God. So there's this close interaction. You draw close to God, and He begins sharing His heart with you. If you never draw close to God, you just read an occasional uh, story in the Bible and you listen to your pastor's sermon on Sunday and that's the only time you ever listen to God, you're not going to get here as hard. You know, there's things my wife and I share with each other because we're close. We don't share with anybody else. You know what I'm talking about? You want to get close to God? That's when he begins sharing his heart with you. Here's number five. God does answer prayer. Always remember that. Usually doesn't do it the way we think he will or the way we ask him to, but he still does the same thing. Were the righteous delivered? Absolutely. Lot and his family were delivered from Sodom before it was destroyed. See, God answered prayer. Mercy is always expressed righteousness. God wants to express mercy to us. Here's number six. God is your friend. He is your friend. Isaiah chapter 41 verse 8 says, But you, this is, this is God speaking through the prophet, But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, you descendants of Abraham, my friend. Now, you know what a friend is? A friend is somebody that's got your back. Sometimes a friend, however, has to give you some wounds because a friend cares about you. A friend cares about where you're going, cares about your future. So a friend sometimes has got to sit down and have a serious conversation and ask you, what are you thinking where do you think this, these decisions are taking you in life? A friend has to be confrontive sometimes. We do it in love. That's a friend. My God is my friend. He doesn't have a problem correcting me because he loves me. Just like you don't have a problem correcting your son or your daughter when they're little because you love them. So you correct them. You don't let them play in the street. You don't let them play with things that are, they're going to get hurt by. And God doesn't want us playing with things that's going to hurt us. God is your friend. Three times in the Bible it says Abraham was called God's friend. You can be God's friend. I mean, why would he put his spirit, his spirit, his nature inside of you if he didn't consider you his friend, a partner in what he's come to do on the earth? He's your friend. Here's number seven. Prayer is intervention. Intervention is when you intervene. You step into it. You step into the situation. You stand between. Sometimes as a pastor, I have to be careful with intervention because I'm the one in the middle. Had somebody, I don't remember who it was. This was 
years ago, somebody called me up like at 2.30 in the morning. It was the wife. And they were having, she was having a big fight with her husband. 2.30 in the morning. And they want me to come over to the house and referee. It's a good way to get shot. So I, I said, what's going on? And she told me some things. And I, I said, let me, let, me, let me speak to your husband. I mentioned his name. She said, he didn't, he didn't want to talk to you. And I said, you tell him I said I want to talk to him. So he took the phone, and I had this conversation. I said, look, you guys have been arguing for how long now? You can see you're not going to be able to work it out. You can see that this is going on and on. The tighter you get, the angrier you get, you're not going to be able to work this out. I tell you what, you let her go to bed, and you lay down on the couch and get some sleep, and tomorrow when you're feeling better, you call me. Didn't like the idea, but he said, yes, I will. That's intervention. Sometimes you have to intervene. You have to stand in the gap. Prayer is standing in the gap because some people have earned justice, or excuse me, judgment. They've earned judgment. And God's about to take some serious steps in their life. What can we do? We can get shot if we try to be the referee and solve all the world's problems. But one thing I can do is I can pray. And I can pray as an intercessor, which means I'm standing in the back. I'm standing in the gap. I'm talking to God. I'm negotiating with God on your behalf. Maybe all of us should be intervening for our cities. Sometimes I just take a drive through Waterloo. And I I don't go to the new editions. I go to the old editions trailer court, apartment complexes, where people with troubled lives are. And I drive through and I just pray. I just reach my hand out. I just pray. I know a lot of you don't come from Waterloo. You come from Butler. You come from Auburn. You come from Garrett. You come from Kendallville, all over the place. I, I understand that. But this is my city. I pray for my city. What's your city? Maybe your city is a rural neighborhood. The square mile that you live on. Pray for your neighborhood. Pray for your neighbors. Intervene. Intercede for them. Abraham prayed for the whole city. He wasn't just praying for his nephew and his family. He's praying for the whole city. He was interceding to keep it from happening. He was trying to keep God from destroying the city because he knew the cost would be in people's lives. In Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30, the prophet says, I looked, or God speaks to the prophet, says, I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it, but I found no one. God's still looking for people who will stand in the gap so he wouldn't have to destroy it. He doesn't want to destroy this world. Now, the book of Revelation tells me the world's going to pretty much be destroyed. But God doesn't want that. He wants this world redeemed. He wants each of us taking our rightful place in his kingdom here on the earth. True believers don't rejoice when God brings judgment to somebody else. We don't rejoice. 
So intercession was the prayer for others, not for self. If you spend all your time asking God what he's going to do for you, what he can do for you, that's not intercession. Intercession is when you pray for others. And I've discovered whenever I pray for myself, God doesn't answer. When I pray for somebody else, here comes the answer to me. What I... I ask God to bless somebody over there financially, and I get blessed financially, as well as them, because I was the intercessor. This is how it works for you. If you've got troubles in your marriage, I'll tell you how to pray. Find somebody else that's got the same kind of troubles you do, and you pray for them, and watch the answer come to you. It's what you give out that comes back to you. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. I'm going to have to set the time on this for longer. It keeps going blank on me, and I forget what I'm saying. Where am I at? Oh, yeah, here's number eight. Boy, i got to hurry. One minute left. Prayer averts justice. Justice is the wages of sin is death. Prayer averts that justice. I don't want to die. I don't want to, I don't want to curse on my life, even though I, I mess up every day. Prayer averts justice. So... Our number, one, our number one priority should be averting justice, keeping justice. Every time you see something bad in somebody's life, ask yourself, how can I help turn this around into something good? How can I do that? COVID-19 has had a very negative effect in our economy in America. The government issues stimulus checks to help the econ- economy get back up. So when my wife and I get the stimulus check, we sit down and we ask, what should we do with this? You know, I get the same paycheck whether, I, whether it's COVID or not. It hasn't, re- hasn't affected my pay at all. But here's all of a sudden, I got all this money. What am I going to do with it? There's other people it has affected. So I need to ask myself, we ask ourselves, okay, who could benefit from this? How can we turn a bad thing into a good thing? And here's number nine. Don't stop praying until God departs. Did you notice that? Verse 33. He kept right on negotiating until the Lord turned around and walked away. It was when God stopped talking. It was when God stopped the negotiations that the prayer was over. Don't stop praying. Don't stop intervening until God walks away. So... My prayer for you is that you become intercessors, that you decide you want to be an intercessor. Nobody can make you do that. That's just the heart of God inside of you, interceding for someone who's lost. Would you stand with me? We're going to sing a song here about that intercession. There's the God, there's a God of your city. He's not just your God. He's the God of your city, your neighborhood, your company, your school. He's the God of that whole assembly of people, that fellowship group that you're a part of. He's the God of that. Pray for them and watch the amazing grace that God wants to throw out. Not throw out. God wants to put out, spread out, invest. God wants to do something. He's the God of your city. He's the God of your city. Step up. Be an intercessor.
be an intercessor. 